All right, thank you for joining us. Eight o'clock hour is underway. DJ is off. I'm PK flying the ship solo, but not entirely solo because I have got a great guest that I'm looking forward to talking to right now, Dennis Dodd from CBS Sports National College Football writer. Dennis, right off the bat, what did you think when you saw Coastal Carolina and BYU hastily get together to have this game on Saturday? I thought it was brilliant. I thought because of the implications involved for both teams, it's a massive game we never would have seen except for COVID. And, you know, credit to Joe Moglia and, uh, and Tom Holmo for putting this together. I, I love the fact that uh, BYU's going cross-country. I, I love that story by Ross Dellinger and the, and the equipment truck drivers. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I think this is a great matchup. I'm kind of surprised at the line. I think Coastal's going to have something for the Cougars on Saturday, but that's why they play the game. For sure. You know, when BYU went independent at the time, I'm sure you recall Utah was going to the Pac-12, their arch rival, basically getting a ticket punched to the winning the lottery. And BYU was playing on the Mountain Network, which just no Mm -hmm. one was seeing. And they were getting no distribution for their product. And so they felt the need to go independent and obviously have the ESPN contract. And I supported it at the time, big time, because they needed that exposure. Well, now a decade later... Uh, how do you uh, evaluate, because in my mind, it's been off the charts, the exposure that they've been getting the last few weeks? Uh, the exposure the last few weeks have been great. Um, you know, the, the nine years before that, I would argue, independence has been uneven for BYU. Right. But it, it took COVID for this to happen to the point that they can get a New Year's Six Bowl without playing a Power 5 team. You know, that, that's just one of the, the outcomes from this season. You know, would they have been 10-0 with the schedule they had this year? I don't know. But I do, I, I think, you know, the guys that have made up this team, Brady Christensen, Zach Wilson, uh, Dax Gunner, um, uh, Chris Tonga on the defensive line would have had outstanding seasons regardless. I, I love the potential, pro potential of this team. And I think, you know, that's, how teams at this level, that's how other people judge them. You know, how many pros do they have on the team? I think they've got a few. One of the methods of where they got to where they are, and this can apply across the board, in the big dogs, they can just reload virtually yeah. every year, and they're just as good as the prior years. But the rest of the teams, which is a large majority of them when you think about it, yeah. uh, the way the, the Cougars have done it, I'm wondering what you think of this formula if other teams should follow because they played a lot of young guys the first couple of years so now they get to this point in their college careers and many of them just about all of them except for a tight end it's got tons of experience so they're able to draw on that experience you think this is a formula that maybe can catch on in terms of okay we're not going to be great every single year but we can build towards something and have our special year every few years well in general more freshmen are playing anyway. I mean, look at Alabama, look at LSU. They've got, you know, a freshman at quarterback because they have to at the, at the skill positions, you're either starting or you're the partner. Um, BYU has that built-in advantage with the mission trips where at least it seems traditionally in the lines, you know, you've got big veteran guys who may not have played football, but at the end of their careers, they're, they're men. Um, 
So, no, I, I don't think it's a BYU thing at all. I right. think it's a college football thing. You can't afford not to play these players. And in the age of the transfer portal and one-time transfer coming up, you're going to see more and more of it because it's just, it, it is going to be a form of free agency. Dennis Dodd, CBS Sports, joining us. That one-time transfer portal, uh, I was listening to uh, Rick Neuheisel speak, and he was talking about he, how he thought that this one-time transfer portal actually might even help the Blue Buds because the theory being, wow, if I'm getting recruited by Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, Clemson, well, why not give it a shot? And then if I get beat out and I find I'm not good enough because they just got better players, then I go to drop down to somebody else who's still pretty good but not as good. So his theory was this one-time transfer rule might end up helping the elite of the elite even more. How would you respond to that? Uh, the other part of that is, you know, the power five. This is going, The group of five is going to be a minor league, quote-unquote, for the Power Five. In other words, think of a guy who emerges. I had this thought yesterday. There's a guy at UTEP, Keenan Stewart, yep. um, defensive lineman of Iowa Western. UTEP, because of who they are, have to really go um, really go to the junior college to fill in, not surprising. I talked to their coach yesterday, Dana Demo, who's definitely afraid of too much publicity for this kid. I, I just filled him <laughs> in at my All-America ballot. He's having that good a season because whether whether I fill him in on my All-America ballot or not, people know about him, and they will come after him hard. Um, and that's the concern, that Ian Stewart will be backing up at Alabama last, you know, next year, and, and Utah has to start over. Uh, that's one concern. Um, you know, the, the Power Five, yeah, they're going to do that. But there are also going to be kids that can't start at the Power Five who may not necessarily drop down to a group of five, but just go to another school where they can. And largely that's happening right now. That's why we've got the one-time transfer rule, because, the, you know, the, the sitting out a year became a joke. And the, because the NCAA saw that as a legal liability, they were going to get sued over it sooner or later because every other sport besides those five that require you know uh, players to sit out hockey, men's and women's basketball, baseball, and I'm trying to think of the other one. There are 15 other sports that the NCAA sponsors. You can do whatever you want one time in your career. So it's going to happen. It's just a reality, and I, I think everybody's going to have to deal with it. Watching Urban Meyer talk on Saturday in that Fox pregame show, his big emphasis was he presses play meaning that he studied these teams. And he talked about last Saturday how the prior week he said he spent several hours pressing play, as he said, in terms of studying what he meant, studying on tape, Cincinnati and BYU. He comes to the conclusion that both of these teams, as far as the college football committee, are underranked and both of them should be ranked higher. And I thought maybe subtly, indirectly, maybe even directly, he was taking a shot at the playoff committee as far as how much studying they're doing. What would you say to that in terms of how much studying and, quote, unquote, pressing play that this committee is doing on these teams? First of all, how about Urban Meyer? He's great on that show now. Yes, he is. I mean, he, he's really grown into that role. And you yep. can see why he was a great coach. And, you know, I may get back in pretty soon. Who knows? But, yeah, I, I agree. I, I've said all season, I've said that having watched these teams with my untrained eye, I'm a, you know, half sports writer, so what do I know about picking down film, that, that they can play. I think they both can play. I just mentioned the reasons I think BYU is 
is uh, is worthy. Cincinnati as well. I, I think the committee discredits itself when, in the middle of all this, they put a Georgia at number eight. Um, and when I saw that Georgia at six and two, which is underachieved both defensively and offensively this year, I started thinking, how would you know how would uh, BYU match up against Georgia? And I just started thinking, I said, you know what? Having seen them both play, I think pretty damn favorably. Um, it, it, it's not like Georgia deserves to be four spots ahead of BYU um, and one spot behind Cincinnati in the New Year's Six conversation. Every time they've been hit schedule-wide with a challenge, they've lost it. They uh, got blown out by Alabama. Um, what was the other loss? I'm trying to remember. But, no, I, I, I think that discredited uh, the poll this week. Um, yeah, I think Cincinnati, uh, I, the thing about Cincinnati is this is the first time there's been a legitimate conversation about them being in the playoff in the hit since 1998 when the BCS started because they're good enough and because there's a path. And if you really watch them, they're good. Now, BYU's problem is going to be the schedule. Um, I think their best path, obviously, is New Year's Six, and they got a heck of a chance that they beat TV Coastal. So, um, no, I, I, I agree. I, I think I, I agree with what you said, and I think they discredited themselves by sticking Georgia in there. Yeah, it seems like it's an easy default to, to, to go there. Yeah. And it, it it's bothersome, actually. I hate to say it, but it just is. Uh, you think BYU can get enough of a bounce then if they went out to get in that New Year's Day 6? Here's what I'm writing for today, and I had a deep conversation with Jerry Palm because it's really complicated. Um, a win in this game significantly enhances BYU's New Year's Six Bowl chances. Eight, eight of those spots um, above them, uh, there are set. There are two. There are two of the seven undefeated teams below the Power Five. Okay, BYU has to get into the top twelve to be considered in general. Um, eight of the spots. In the, in the New Year Six are already spoken for right now. BYU would have to be one of the next four highest-ranked teams that don't qualify for the New Year Six to get in. Uh, six of those teams are currently ranked ahead of the Cougars. That means a final ranking of about 10th or better in the CFP, and BYU would get um, into its first major bowl in 23 years. So think about just think about that. Think about winning. Think about Tuesday, and think about being at number ten. Not, nothing is for certain here because we're at the whim of the selection committee. But if they're around ten after beating Coastal uh, and coming from thirteen, they got a heck of a chance. And so you you haven't pu- I saw you tweeted that out. You haven't published it yet at CBS Sports. It's going to be. Uh, yeah, this morning. Yeah. Okay, BYU fans can look for that. Dennis Dodd, CBS Sports. National College Football writer joining us, and you'll have that story available at CBS Sports website. We'll be checking that out for sure. Uh, the Pac-12, man, it just seems like, and no matter what, they can't get a team to go through unscathed. And Oregon, I guess SC still has a chance, obviously, or Colorado too, if you want to go in that direction. Washington, Washington these are USC and Colorado, yeah, yeah, uh, but. I mean, they, they literally, since they've gone to the 12, have not had a team go 9-0. and zero. Never. And so my no, guess the, is the they're not going to do it again. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, they might. The odd thing would be, 
Yeah, you got three. You got three teams in there. I think one of them's going to go undefeated, uh, for better or worse. I don't know if they'll get to the playoff. It's going to be hard. USC probably has the best chance. But think about this, and another COVID-related weird thing: if the Pac-12 has an undefeated champion and doesn't make the playoff, that will be uh, the first time a Power Five undefeated conference champion. It's not made the championship um, game or CFP since 2003. It was Auburn, went 12-0. At that exact moment, we started the momentum towards the playoffs. And Mike Slide, the SEC commissioner, said, uh-uh, it's not happening again. We're going to have to accommodate for the, for the Auburns of the world. And I, looking back, I, I, I can't think, you know, beyond then, you know, there was a, a playoff scenario or a championship scenario. That would be the second time ever. A power five conference champion undefeated wouldn't be allowed to play for a championship. Another dubious remar- uh, mark for the Pac 12 of what they yeah. don't want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we can sit here and talk for half an hour on how they got there. The leadership's been bad. Right. Um, I've never seen teams from back east, and even in the Pac 12, pluck players from California like I've seen. I mean, Clemson's quarterback of the future, DJ Uangalele, obviously we know he's great, um, is from Bosco. You know, I think not Bosco. It should be mm-hmm. that should be a UCLA USC no-brainer. Um, uh, Bryce Young at Alabama, Kayvon Thibodeau at Oregon, from the heart of LA. Um, and I think it's going to get worse if you if you look at the recruiting rankings. They can't keep those players at home. And the Pac-12 is so isolated on the West Coast because of that. Um, you know, they're not, they're not going to go in general. They're not going to go to Pennsylvania and get a kid. Now, Mario Cristobal, that kind of coach, can and will, but it just keeps the talent level down. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. You know, I'm an ASU grad, and I've been whining about this for years just to keep the kids in the state of Arizona has been almost an impossible task. Yeah. Well, that was always the case, yeah. Yeah, Virtually. just I mean that's it's hard. It's been hard to keep in-state players in Arizona, but I love I love Herm. I think he's a guy who just rolls up his sleeves and can teach uh, effort and technique and get more out of guys than they know they have themselves. I am totally sold on him as a coach. But again, it's still it's still Arizona State talent level compared to some of the other schools. We'll see. You buy this pro model that they've been trying to get, all these pro guys on the staff can actually make a difference and get them where they've wanted to be since they ran Frank Cush off in 1979? I, I do. I, I was like everybody else. I was totally skeptical when they put out this press release and they hired Herm and they're going to have a general manager. It was, I Look, it was as poorly written a press release as I've ever seen. It was written by the college side. I've, I've written about it. You know, it wasn't written by somebody in sports information. They had somebody, for whatever reason, write this on the on the public information sign they had to, and it was confusing as hell. And I was dubious, but I've been in their room. I've been um, you know, the facility, and I said I love Herm as a coach. They've already lost Danny Gonzalez, the defensive coordinator, to New Mexico, so he's gotten a job off that. Uh, no, I, I think these guys are. Um, Marvin, you know, Marvin Lewis is there as a – did he get a position as he a consultant? I don't know. But, He's co-defensive you know, coordinator with Antonio Pierce. Yeah, yeah, so that's really, really good. No, I think I think it can work, um, and, I, and I, I'm totally supporting it now. I was dubious. 
All right, Dennis, we appreciate you joining us. We'll look forward to reading your piece later this morning on CBS Sports. Thank you. All right, thank you, Dave.